What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Smart People Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm John. And as always, we are here to bring you an enlightening... Fascinating. Uh, yeah, uplifting, too. Um, oh, absolutely uplifting. This is like life lessons. That's what we're doing today with an awesome guest and... As you will come to find out, we're not even going to try and hide it from you. I unfortunately could not make this interview. What were you doing? Do you Working? Remember? I think it was like middle of the day or something. Oh, yep. I was on a. I was at a conference. Oh, uh, that's right. You were out of town for uh, so, your old job. Yep, yep. So I don't. I don't try. You know, I try to make all of these. Obviously, this happens very rarely. But John took over and crushed it, and actually only had great things to say. So you want to dive in and talk about our guest this week? Sure. This week, we're talking to Dr. Molly Marty, and she wrote a book called Walking with Justice, and she talks about her time being mentored with Judge Max Rosen. And Judge Rosen was a judge for, I don't even know how long, I'm sure Dr. Marty gets into it. But this book that she talks about is just saying there are life lessons to be learned from everybody. There are good people out there. You just need to find those people and learn from them. It really was like a, a nice pick-me-up book. I, I even mentioned to you after reading it. You did. How you, you crushed the book. You read it in like, I don't know, a couple hours because you yeah, just couldn't put it down. read it in a night, and I kept slamming it shut and being like, Chris, listen to this. Yeah, and I mean, not only was she mentored by this fan, you know fantastic judge, but she's a resiliency researcher, professional speaker, adjunct professor of psychology at University of Iowa. She's published in journals, 
she wrote a book or co-authored a book, The 12 Factors of Business Success. And then you talked to her mostly about um, her newest book, Walking with Justice. Oh, yeah. And it's a fantastic book. I do a little gushing because, like I said, I love the book and got a lot out of it. So in times like that, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to gush a little with our guest and let them know that I enjoyed it. We all around the holidays need to kind of think about what what matters most in life and think about our goals and our, our dreams and things like that. And she, you know, talks about basically how to live a, a good, productive life. And that's, it's one of those times where you really want to reflect. You're coming into the new year. You want to go at it strong. And so we thought this is a good one to have on. Yeah. And it's perfect. You know, if you're looking for, for gifts to give somebody right before the holidays end here, uh, walking with justice is an awesome stocking stuffer or whatever holiday you're celebrating. It's an awesome present for that. And before actually getting to Dr. Marty, we should do a little housekeeping and mention that, you know, time's ticking for that holiday shopping. Yeah, you better go make your purchases at fill-in-the-blank, our Amazon page. So head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. That is where we, you know, we do our weekly posts along with the interview. And you can also check out some other stuff we have on there. We got our Ustream and you can connect with us on Facebook. But go to the Amazon banner, which is either at the top of the page or under the Amazon tab. Click on that and make all your purchases. As you guys know, we get a little cut, but it doesn't cost you anything. And why go shopping? Why fight the crowds? I don't know why. I, I, I didn't do it. No, I literally didn't. I bought all my stuff on Amazon. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. You, so You don't like it, you send it back. It's easy. Yep. They this don't is, charge you for it. I mean, this is the month that keeps us in business. So uh, head on over there. Don't forget about us and have great holidays. We will be bringing you episodes throughout. So feel free to keep tuning in. And we hope you enjoy this one with Dr. Molly Marty. Dr. Marty, thank you so much for being on the show. First, I have to tell you, I read through Walking with Justice, Uncommon Lessons from one of the great life's greatest mentors, and I blew through it. It was amazing. It really did touch me. And I, I can honestly say that this year, this is probably one of those books that I'm going to definitely recommend to people and pass it along because I don't really know how to describe it, but it really does touch like the human core. So thank you for writing it. It's, it's, it's amazing. Thank you. That means the world to me. And we haven't talked before now, so I wasn't sure what your view of the book would be. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a very pleasant note to start our conversation on. But uh, I appreciate that. And yeah, Judge, uh, my mentor, I'm sure we'll talk more about him, but as accomplished as he was, he was always very human. And I think that comes across in a very relatable sense that people uh, do really feel like they kind of pulled up a chair or sat down with a cup of tea and had some time with a great man and a great mentor. Oh, absolutely. And immediately after reading the book, like I just wanted to keep learning more about him. So you definitely did him a great service. That being said, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background and your path to how you got to where you are today, because you've done so many different things. Can you give our listeners a little dive into your background, let them know the different things that you've done, and then how you've gotten to where you are today? Sure. I, I know looking at my background, and I just gave a speech actually at a high school 
And uh, the first thing I said when I showed up is, wow, you guys Googled me <laughs> because in the <laughs> intro, I sat and I listened to kind of an outside in view of my life and my career and what I've done. And they were digging things up I had done 20 years ago. And it was really interesting because I can see from outside in that people go, what connects all of this? And really what connects it is just a uh, intense fascination with people and a passion for their potential. And I, it's just the eyes through which I see people and see the world is I just see how profoundly uh, capable they are in that potential. And so I think another theme that comes through in the book and in my work as a lawyer is uh, a pursuit of justice. I was always kind of a justice seeker from early on. Uh, so that's really how I found my way into the law is I saw I was 14 years old when I saw a tremendous injustice being done. And I just threw a line in the sand and said, that's wrong. And I need to do something about it. So that's really where I started my career after my undergrad was public relations and communications. Uh, went overseas, lived in Ireland for a year on a rotary scholarship and came back, went to law school. It was from law school that my law professor, who was also my law review advisor, had seen me in a position where justice was an issue to me and I was taking a stand and I think something clicked and he thought, wow, you would really get along well with uh, this Judge Max Rosen, who was his mentor. And so that's where the book starts out is Rick Matazar, my professor and advisor, pulling me into his office and saying, I have two things to say to you. Number one, you need to apply for a federal courtship. And number two, you need to apply to Judge Max Rosen. And I share that conversation in the book. I went to learn the law and spend what I thought would be a year with Judge, and that turned into four years um, as I continued to clerk with him and did some litigation. And then I had married an Iowa boy, another story I tell <laughs> in Walking with Justice. And uh, I could see, uh, talking about potential, he could never be his full self if he was deprived of uh, oxygen that only Iowa seems to supply directly to his soul. And so... He asked if we could move back to Iowa and raise our family there. And he generously said, you decide where we live. You decide what you do. I will support you. And I started to look at opportunities to practice law in West Des Moines and in Iowa City, uh, cities that I love here in Iowa. And it just paled by comparison to what I did by judge's side. And I had two law professors who also were PhDs in social psychology. And they gave me tremendous counsel and said, you don't even know it yet, but you already are a psychologist. You already <laughs> study people and, and you want to know what makes them tick and you want to help them get better and just go to graduate school and get your PhD in, in personality and social psychology. And it was very good counsel. Uh, and that's really where I, I found my highest calling. And so I, I still had my hand in the law, but I really uh, worked on a day-to-day -day basis in performance psychology, resiliency, uh, helping people become happier and healthier and stronger. And uh, the latest iteration of that in my career is uh, helping teens doing this and supporting communities and growing healthier and stronger kids. Yeah, and that's definitely something I want to touch on in a little bit here. But what led you to write the book? I mean, had you written in the past? Did you get a lot of writing experience as a lawyer? I mean, what did you build on to finally decide, oh, I'm going to write this great book? I'm the daughter of an English teacher, and I have a love uh -huh. of the <laughs> English language. And, and so I uh, have written my whole life. I co-authored a couple books in the business world. Once uh, I worked with peak performance uh, athletes, and once business kind of saw what I did in athletics, they 
were interested and said, you know, come work with us. And that did lead to a couple of books that I had co-authored. Uh, the latest one before this was The 12 Factors of Business Success with Wiley. That's still out. And I think this book came from two places. One was a promise I made to my life's greatest mentor on the day that we buried him was a thank you to him and a promise. And it was a truly heartfelt promise that others' lives would be better off for my having been mentored by him and been taught by him. I recognized what a gift that was. And at that time, it, it didn't, that promise didn't take the form of a book. Uh, but it was a solemn promise and one that I've kept in front of me on a daily basis. We're on, on computer Skype. I don't know if you can see behind me, but you know, behind me is a, is a picture of Judge and some memorabilia of Judge. And uh, he's never too far away from me. I keep him in front of me. And that's been true for the last 20 years. The specific nucleus of this book is uh, shows up in the prologue to the book. And I really wanted this book to be about Judge Rosen. But I do tell more of my story in the prologue. And uh, about four years ago, I had a cardiac virus that flattened me. It was a life-threatening condition. I had a lot of fluid and inflammation around my heart. And through that illness, at times, I lost my ability to talk. And I really love to talk. <laughs> I lost my ability to walk. I lost my vision. At times, um, it was challenging. My kids were, right now, they're 13, 15, and just turned 18. I have three teenagers. Oh, wow. Uh, and they were younger. And I was really looking at that possibility of leaving this world with my kids not having grown up and leaving my husband uh, way too soon in this world too soon. And uh, I don't know how many times before that I had said to clients and it really was part of my philosophy, you know, don't die with your music left in you. And I really thought I was living a very self-actualized life, but lying in bed and seeing what I hadn't done and looking at regrets, uh, not writing a book about judge, not putting his love and his wisdom on paper for others to learn from him. It rose very quickly to the top of my regrets. Wow. And I thought I, I can't leave this world without getting this book out. So that's really where the book came from four years ago. Well, I'm definitely glad you wrote the book. And again, the book is Walking with Justice. It's, I mean, it's phenomenal. And if you don't mind, I'd love to dive into it now. Please, let's go wherever you would like to take this conversation. So you call Judge a servant mentor. What exactly does that mean? That word came to me as I was writing the book and trying to characterize just who was this man. And he was my mentor. And I call him my life's greatest mentor. And, and he was that for both me and my husband and uh, hundreds of lawyers, young lawyers that found their way to his side. But at the heart of it, he really was a servant mentor. And I, I've had mentors in my life, and I love mentors, and they serve a purpose of teaching you what the possibilities are, expanding your idea of those possibilities, uh, teaching you shortcuts, helping you get from point A to point B more quickly. And that's what a good mentor does. What a servant mentor does is he or she works from principles, from values, and they're so much more focused on the being than the doing. They're more focused on that process of becoming, and they're very focused on living in service to others. Uh, what Judge taught me is that the quality of my life is defined by the difference that I make in the lives of others, the healing I bring, the compassion I show. And so I talk about Judge and the way that he taught and the lessons he taught, and he taught most of them simply by being who he was by walking it out for us. It was rare that he sat me down and said, Molly, you need to do this and this and this. He was a servant mentor and that he was focused on serving. 
he gave us a very clear message that each of us have unique abilities, talent, skills, relationships, education. All of it is gift. All of it has been given to share and to better this world. And that that is really what life is about. And so I make the point in the book that a servant mentor, while a mentor can change your life, a servant mentor really leaves an indelible thumbprint on your soul and leaves you with no other option but to stand and, and walk in service to others. That actually leads into one of the quotes that I wrote down, by far my favorite in the book, but it just said, my mentor taught me that degrees and accolades would never determine my worth as a leader. They only brought a higher standard of responsibility to serve one's community for the common good. And it mm-hmm. was one of those moments where I closed the book and just like sat there and started thinking and saying, okay, I've got to start thinking about what I actually want to do and, and how I can mold myself within that quote. And Chris and I talk about this all the time. We always want to figure out ways that we can help people help people learn, do things, and actually put a, a stamp on our lives because both of us have corporate jobs and that hasn't been fulfilling it for us. So we've you know, started this podcast and, and doing other things like this. That was one of those things that I read and just had to reflect on it for a few minutes there. You know, I say that Judge showed us much more than he directly talked or taught us. This is one area that he took head on. It was the very first week of my clerkship with him. And he did um, help us make that transition from being students, from being on the receiving end. And that conversation really had two points. One thing he said is no clerk comes to my chambers without a tremendous amount of help from others, assistance. I know this to be true. You simply could not have gotten here without help. So what does that look like? I need you to look at that. Is it parents, other family teachers, professors, financial help, friends. You should take a look at all of the people that have supported you and then go thank them. Hmm. Show gratitude for that. Recognize that and be grateful for it and let them know. And he said the second piece is you have been on the receiving end. You've been a student and you are now a young lawyer. You are in a tremendous position to contribute to the good of this community. Our community needs you. And what does that look like? He said, everything you've been given is gift. And he really pointed out, you know, I grew up, as I say in the book, with a Catholic background. And I understood stewardship and giving of my time, treasure, and talent. And I was very fortunate to grow up in a family. I was number 12 of 13 children. (laughs) And growing up in a family that uh, did walk that out, I had parents who role modeled that. What Judge Rosen was teaching me that day, and I continued to, to learn from him and see him, do this in his community was how to steward within my career, how to steward as a professional, how to steward really with every breath I take because that's how he lives. And that doesn't always mean that he said yes to everybody. He really looked at whether he was in a position to best contribute, to best support. And he said no at times and he would help them find resources that better met their needs. But it was an area that it goes back to him being a steward or a servant mentor. Uh, it is an area that he simply lived and breathed it 
And I could tell the way that he had that conversation with me as a young lawyer, that it was of the utmost importance to him. Oh, absolutely. And it's something that I think was instilled on him by his mother. That also blows me away because, you know, reading some of the stories about his mom in the book and how giving she was, even if times, you know, times were extremely tight for them, I don't necessarily see that anymore. I don't want to say it's like one of those dying characteristics, but... It almost is. What do you see with helping and mentoring, coaching, and giving speeches now? I mean, are you starting to see anything return that way where kids now are starting to give back more or be thankful more? I am. I, with the caveat that I tend to celebrate what's good and what's going on <laughs> and focus on that and try to grow it. So I, I'm not ignorant that uh, there are many people that live in a what's in it for me uh, mentality. Sure. Um, but I am seeing great things and great promise, both uh, from within kids and from uh, especially within people who are in the business of supporting kids. Uh, the servant leadership area is growing the area of service learning, you know, we do these leadership camps uh, every quarter and we always have a, a give back component. I've created a, a model of community resiliency to help grow kids and, and research shows that it's essential, both the spirituality component, the volunteering. Uh, we know that kids who volunteer one hour a week of their time, their talent, their treasure, it, it, the key is really matching them up. So they start to recognize the unique gifts they have, that, that their interests, their passions. So they, by giving, are growing, but they're also growing by becoming more practiced, more masterful at whatever lights them up. And so we're doing a lot of work in this area, and uh, it's really fun to see the science begin to catch up with, uh, I think, what philosophers have known, what uh, the, the theologians have known uh, for a long time. Social scientists are really catching up in areas of uh, gratitude and altruism and volunteering and, and the real and direct benefits to people. Sure. Uh, we truly are wired to serve. We're wired in a way that giving and connecting with others and helping others brings meaning to our lives. It's part of how we are wired as humans. And I think that that's a really interesting, it's a really interesting time to live because we're seeing science begin to evaluate and measure it and uh, kind of catch up to, like I said, what uh, many have been preaching for centuries. Wow. Yeah. And I was just having a conversation with someone the other day. It may have been Chris. I don't exactly remember, but I was saying that if I could go back in time, I would have told my middle school or high school self to find those things that I was passionate about that made me happy, that also made other people happy and put way more time into it because that stuff at that age, that's the perfect time to start a mastery in those areas. And it will only benefit you as you get older and look for a career and a job because there's a lot of us who are 20, 30 somethings that are stuck in the position now where we're not doing things that we're passionate about. We went to college and we were like, all right, let's find the job that we can get the most salary from and then got stuck in that. So if anybody listening is in high school and that kind of stuff, I'll, I will reiterate that do things that make yourself happy, that make others happy, and just focus on that. Exactly what you were talking about. Volunteer that time and start building those things because they definitely help in the future. And I'm glad that science and social sciences are you know, now catching on to that because that's definitely something that needs to be taught, especially to the youth. 
It, it does. And I find the most successful way isn't always going directly to the youth and say, volunteer one hour a week. It's good for you. It'll help you. <laughs> right? It's creating an environment in which kids can thrive and be successful. Uh, I'll give you another example. I was at the University of Iowa today and I met with the, the dean of a school and I was talking to, uh, had a meeting yesterday with a residence life rep. What the University of Iowa has just done is they had living learning communities and they um, have had these on a volunteer basis for their incoming freshmen to pick. So if there's a, um, when I was talking to the dean of the law school today, the law school runs a living learning community for pre-law students. So it, it exposes these kids, these students. I have a habit of calling kids kids. I'm trying to break <laughs> as I get older. These students have said, I'm interested in pre-law. Well, what a great time to decide. Is that really your passion? Does it light you up? How do you see yourself serving? And get them focused on that is what it's about, helping people. And how do you want to use this profession to help others? Because you won't have a meaningful life if you don't make those connections. So that's one example. But they had all these types of living, learning communities. And there's a, uh, a life design class at the university around one of these living learning communities. Well, what the University of Iowa for next year is doing is they're rolling out to all freshmen. It's mandatory now. So they're going from the 30 some that they had to having a few thousand incoming freshmen all need to choose one. And they come together in community, so they're meeting that need that we have, uh, the social need to connect and to challenge each other and to learn together. Um, but they really are saying, you know, I, I'm interested in, and, it, and they have some things like photography, creative arts. It's not just all career path. Um, so you might have an engineer who loves photography. And before going to college, they go, well, I got to give that up because I got to study all the time and do this. And what the university is saying is, no, if it's an interest to you, if it's your passion, live it. Keep that in your life. Nurture that. And so that's an example when you say, what am I seeing out there? Uh, those type of developments really give me a lot of hope for how, what we're doing through our institutions and organizations and educational facilities to support youth in, in identifying and growing and sharing their unique passions. Profits from Walking with Justice are helping fund the Community Resiliency Project. Can you give our listeners a little background on that project and then talk a little bit about the connection between this book and that project? Sure. And they are intimately connected because without this book, that project <laughs> wouldn't be in existence. And here, this isn't in the book. Here's some backstory for you. I had this book manuscript form and uh, I was working on it on a ticking along in a very solid timeline and I was being fueled by my commitment to get this done. In our small town in Iowa lost three teens to suicide within six months time. Oh, wow. And it was tremendously complex maneuvering and even experiencing. Um, it just surprised me how the loss of each of these kids, whether you knew them closely and their families or not, just lessened our whole community uh, one by one and the dynamics it created and just maneuvering our own grief and trying to parent our children and, and help them through that. And all these boys were my son's uh, age or younger in his grade and in his you know social group as that progressed. And uh, Two of them had younger siblings, my daughter's ages and their friend groups. And so I think all the parents in the community were just kind of getting caught up in trying to figure out how to make it through and how to, of course, to keep kids uh, safe because there was this cluster effect going on. And 
I had set the book aside. I, my publisher was very understanding, and I said, I just need to focus on my kids and my family. And of course, the phone was ringing a lot, given I'm a psychologist and mm-hmm. asking for advice. And so I came home after that third loss, and I'd been with the teachers and some students. And I saw the book there, and I really felt just called back to it. And and to this day, I think about, was that really my commitment speaking up? And it, it really wasn't. I think I just needed some time with Judge. I just needed to sit down and I brewed a pot of tea and I opened up the manuscript again. And I was reading words that I had written, but that day it didn't feel like I had written them. And where I found myself reading, you may remember this part of the book, is when Judge was teaching me about what leadership was, what true leadership was. And leadership is never about the leader. It's not about wanting to be in charge, but it's about always looking at the needs in front of you and asking, you know, do I have the experience or skills or education or connections? Do I have something unique that can help? And I asked myself those questions and I could not not see as a psychologist, a resiliency researcher, uh, a passion for helping and supporting kids. And as a member of this community and very well connected to other Uh, researchers and people with a passion to help kids that I had to do something. And so that very day I started to make the calls and uh, called some of the educators and uh, the media and some business people. And we have a college, local college called some of the college administrators and just kept growing the circle of saying, we need to do something, you know, some good must come out of this. And I can't tell you what that looks like right now, but I know it's there. I can feel it's there. And I also know it's only going to happen if we come together and start to figure this out and just help heal and and beyond heal, look for how we can help other communities. And so that was really the beginning of the Community Resiliency Project. I, I would have never guessed it would be uh, where it is already, uh, we're not even a couple of years out, and the resources that are coming to us to do this work and the need for this work, even in judges community, I was just there last month, and they've lost several kids this fall, uh, several students to suicide, a few within a couple week time span, and it's traumatic and it's chronic. And we have a lot of youth that are empty and don't have that meaning and are numb and are confused and they just are losing their way mm-hmm. listening to the message that society is giving them or, or not having the uh, resources they need. And so our re- mission really is a research-based mission to increase protective factors and decrease risk factors. And we know what they are. Psychologists have so much research and so much information that is not getting to parents and to educators and to communities. And so I uh, have developed a model and I'm doing surveys and doing a lot of work. Uh, We have a a pilot community. We're going to be rolling out to another one um, and starting educational series here in 2013. But like I said, even over the last couple of days, the meetings I've had are just tremendous with the resources coming to support this work. And I I can feel Judge's hands on it. He was a great instrument of hope to youth in his community. And in the book, I say uh, one of his quotes, and I love this quote, but he said, in times of great uncertainty and need, you will have doubts, also have hope, have dreams. And, And that really is another core philosophy of Judge Rosen's. He was very pragmatic, and he was a realist, and he never shirked from the facts and what was there, but he did a pretty quick assessment, and then he turned toward the solutions. 
He turned toward being part of the solution. He uh, innovated and said, okay, how can we make this situation better? And so if it weren't for me writing this book and opening to that page and having that time with him, I don't believe this project would be in existence. And so there's a very strong connection. I feel like this is a long answer. That's but No, came, totally fine. Don't worry. Okay, something just came to me. And I've had two moments like this with Judge Rosen. And, and again, I think that goes back to how deeply he impacted me. The second day that I was working for him and my husband picked me up, we, we started with nothing. We had one old uh, used car at the time and we carpooled the 20 minutes to work and back. And so Monty had picked me up and I remember looking at him and saying, you know, if I never practiced law a day in my life, I now know why I became a lawyer. I became a lawyer to learn from this man. And I just knew that judge would be such a impactful teacher and he would change my life I, I just could tell he had an amazing presence and he was so wise and I just knew I had so much to learn from him but I had one of those moments where I thought okay if I never practiced law it made it worth it all of what I put into law school okay it makes sense <laughs> and so I was very fortunate to have that moment because a lot of people become lawyers and, and never realize <laughs> why they're lawyers then when I had that moment of sitting down and reading this book and realizing, oh my goodness, I, everything I've learned in resiliency and research and all my work is for this moment, is to help this community and these teenagers, but it's also to help other communities help their youth. And uh, I had said to Monty again, if I never sell a copy of this book, I now know why I wrote the book. And so I, I find it really interesting that a judge has had his hand on both of those moments for me. But fortunately, you know, the book is selling well, getting into more hands, uh, really inspiring people to, to serve and lead in their own communities and in their own ways. And that's what Judge taught us to do. He never sat down and said, you need to go volunteer here, here, and here. He asked us about our interests and our passions and our talents, and then he would steer us in the direction that he thought uh, we would be of great use and we would have uh, great reward, personal reward from that. Uh, that's fantastic. And I know this might be impossible, but do you have a favorite piece of wisdom that Judge Rosen told you or showed you that you are positive you will never forget anytime? You will remember it forever. <laughs> One, and I write about this, and he didn't say this uh, to me. This was in a discussion later after the clerkship. But in that chapter, I call Prayers Big and Small. I talked to a story about my mom and how my mom, you know, cooked and cleaned. And I asked my mom, mom, do you pray during the day? I don't hear you pray during the day. And she looked at me and laughed and said, you know, honey, my whole day is a prayer. And I was talking about how judge really carried that with him. And he was a proponent of the separation of church and state. And he was an enforcer of the separation of church and state and the protection of our constitution. Yet he was a very spiritual man, a very religious man. And he said a prayer every day. And it was a simple one-line prayer. And his prayer said, God, help me make a contribution to a just and peaceful world. And that I, I combine that now with my morning ritual. Um, so that impacts me. But what really impacts me is the importance of having that short, brief, one-line focus point for your day. And again, judges is different than mine and mine will be different than yours. But having that important 
uh, or having that um, summed up where you get recentered on it every day. And, and again, the research is catching up. We now know that people that get out of bed with that sense of purpose and, and on that mission, on average, they live seven years longer than those who don't live with that type of purpose. So we know there are benefits to longevity and health, but it has a very personal meaning to me because I, I watched him walk that out every day. And uh, he didn't say that prayer in front of me. He didn't you know, say to me, I say a prayer every day. He just lived it. And so I think that that is the greatest thing that stays with me. And he lived with such great integrity. I think of Zig Ziglar, who just passed on. And Zig had that same type of integrity. And I think when people live in that way, they're, they're not gone. They, they leave this earth, but you can have a conversation with them. You can, you know, to this day, I say, Judge, what would you do? Or Judge, what do you think I should do? And I hear that guidance. And so those are the type of things that have stayed with me and, and they're with me on a day-to-day basis. Well, I think that is the perfect place to end. And I wanted to thank you, Dr. Marty, for being on the show. You're absolutely fantastic. The book, Walking with Justice is phenomenal, and I could not think of a more perfect quote than it be called a timeless handbook for being human. That was just such a such a nice, succinct quote that just sums everything up perfectly. That was such a gracious forward by Bob Berg, wasn't it? Oh. He's co-author of The Go-Giver, and Bob looked at an early transcript of this book, and Bob was the first one, and I will be grateful for the day I die to him. He was the first one, as he writes in that forward, to let me see that my mentor could be a mentor to others. You know, I've, it's, a, it's a sentiment I continue to hear. And you read the Amazon reviews and, and people will say, you know, I never had a mentor and now I have two. And, oh, that's awesome. You know, I, I'm seeing that. But Bob was the first one to say, oh, Judge, I'll, I've never known you, but thank you for being my mentor. Well, do you have any websites or social media presence that you want to let our listeners know about so they can find more information about you? Certainly. Uh, walkingwithjustice.com is the book site. And if you go to walkingwithjustice.com forward slash gift right now, we just put up a holiday gift. We have some, I have my elves at work. I, we just had a shipment today, uh, gift wrapping and personalizing. And this book is written to be shared. If you haven't picked up on that by now, uh, this book is written to be shared. And so I have special offers uh, if you gift this book to others. So walkingwithjustice.com, uh, you'll find out more about Judge, more about me, more about the book. But forward slash gift is our 2012 holiday offer. And then you will find me at Dr. Molly, M-O-L-L-I-E, drmolly.com. And I do weekly musings, share resources to help leaders thrive and serve. And uh, that's the forward slash blog, but just drmolly.com. Take a look around there. And I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm around. And then right now we're rolling out our websites, of course, for the Community Resiliency Project uh, and the uh, nonprofit work that I'm doing. Hopefully I'm pretty easy to find and I try to make myself accessible. So just I encourage anyone, um, if they have a question, if something we talked about strikes a chord with them, just drop me a note wherever it's convenient for you. And I'd love to have a conversation about it. Well, thank you again so much and best of luck with your projects and, and nonprofit moving forward. Thank you so much, John. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Have a great night. You too. Welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed that discussion with Dr. Marty. Like I said, Walking with Justice is a fantastic book. A lot of insight into the book and how she wrote it and all those good things with this interview. Head over to her website, everything that she talked about. 
please enjoy what she's put out there. Yeah, and, um, you know, make sure support us. Swing on by smartpeoplepodcast.com. Help us keep going any way you can. Just a comment or a contact us, Facebook, whatever it might be. We enjoy hearing from you guys, and we look forward to keeping this thing going. We've got some exciting episodes coming up. We do. So make sure you stay tuned in. we got an awesome interview tomorrow. I'm pumped that, about it. That we do. Hail to the Redskins. Oh, boy. See you guys. <laughs>